we have been studying the book of Revelation, and uh, we talked about the next major thing to happen in the spiritual sense is the coming of the Lord. And ever since Jesus went away, he told the church to be looking for him because he will come back. And that's what has been the next major spiritual event, major spiritual event that would happen that would involve the church is the coming of the Lord. Uh, it's been nearly 2,000 years, and uh, it's, it's time for the Lord to come, and we well know that. The Bible says after two days, and the day with the Lord is 1,000 years, 1,000 years one day, after two years, two days, he will revive his people, and the revival of his people will follow the coming of the Lord back for his church. We're going to look at some scriptures here in a few moments. So we talked to you about the rapture. After the rapture takes place, then things will begin to happen on the earth. Uh, there will be uh, wars, tornadoes, there will be earthquakes, and so forth. What we're seeing today is a buildup to those things. And so when you begin to see these things, and Luke says, when you see these things come to pass, then look up for your redemption draweth nigh. In other words, it's time. Uh, Jesus said in one place, he says to the Pharisees, you can discern the sky and you know that if it's red or it's not or whatever color it is, it's going to rain, but you cannot discern the times. You cannot discern the times. And he was shaming them because they seemed to be so smart, yet they could not understand that Jesus, their Messiah, had come and he had come to save them. And they could not read the signs, they did not know that, and so forth. So uh, there are things going on today that tell us that it's coming close to the coming of the Lord. Uh, we are looking beyond the coming of the Lord. And of course, as we look at it, we look at a time that will be beyond what we will experience if we make the rapture and if we go if Jesus comes. To be ready for the rapture, we have to have repented of our sins, been baptized in Jesus' name, be filled with his spirit, and living an overcoming life. Now, that's all in the Bible. So that's, that is the New Testament. And uh, I won't go into detail on it, but that's the plan of salvation. So very simple. Uh, there, is no, uh, there is no contradiction to the word of God. If you show me a contradiction, I can show you where it's not a contradiction. I, I've looked at it for some 50 years. I've been studying the Bible, 60 years. I've been studying this book, and I can tell you that it is right on target. And it is every bit true, and you can believe it. This is what faith is all about, is believing the Word of God, believing what Jesus said, and especially in the New Testament, believing what the apostles said following him. One place says, you shall believe on me through their word, speaking of the apostles. And so we have all of these things that we uh, have looked at. And so what we are looking at in this class are the things that are going to happen following, following the rapture of the church. And we talked about how that uh, it all begins with that sixth chapter. I won't go into detail. The first three chapters is all about the seven churches of Asia, uh, which is the seven churches that had different problems, and they are a type of the church age in general. That's a Bible study within itself. I have a lesson that I've taught a couple of times on that called the hidden epistle. And it's a special lesson within itself, those first three chapters, seven churches of Asia. Then in the fourth and fifth chapter, John is caught up in a vision into heaven and he sees 
the throne and Jesus taking the book out of the right hand of him that sits on the throne and all those that worship him and so forth. And this is a, a scene that he has. Most all of that, of course, is symbolic. It says Jesus Christ was as a lamb, lamb slain, taking the book out of the right hand of him. On the we know that Jesus won't look like a lamb slain. So these are all symbolic terms to let us know that all judgment power from God is given unto Jesus, not a separate person, not a separate person in the Godhead at all, but a second or another manifestation of God himself in which he gives the power unto himself as the son who was the redeemer who shed his blood on Calvary. Uh, Jesus Christ was both God and man. He was God in that God was in him. He was the son of God. He was also the son of man, born of Mary. Praise I won't go into detail on that. That's a full Bible study and a great understanding that almost, almost comes by revelation. But if we study the word long, long enough, it'll come to us. And uh, I received that understanding and that revelation when I was 16 years old. And uh, it is a powerful understanding. And since that time, I've seen it confirmed over and over and over. Now, what I want to look at here today is just remind you what we've already looked at. If you go to Revelation chapter 6, this is where the judgments began. And we talked about the four horsemen, they call the four horsemen of the, of the apocalypse. It's not really called that in the Bible. That word apocalypse is a word denoting judgment. And it talks about the four horses, the white horse, the red horse, the black horse, and then the pale horse. These are all mentioned in the first part of chapter six. And it talks about how there's gonna be a false peace, then there will be a war. That will be a fault. It was called a great war in verse four. Then a black horse, which represents a famine and all the disasters that will follow a, a great war. And then it talks about a pale horse in which people will begin to die. They'll die from famine. They'll die from the results of war. They'll die from a hunger. They'll die from all kinds of things. And it finally, it says that when it gets down to the end of it, that by these four things and these things that will happen by these, uh, will one uh, third, uh, pardon me, one fourth of the world population die. So by the time you get through chapter six, one fourth of the world population will have died from the disaster. Now, what we have talked about in our previous classes to a great extent is the things that are happening in the world today to let us see that the buildup of all these things are coming to pass. That's why when they, they talk about these rogue nations and nuclear, with nuclear power, uh, that's a very frightening thing because the, it's almost as if it's inevitable and it keeps getting worse and worse. And then when you read the Bible, you realize that it is going to happen because it talks about all those things happening, especially when it talks about a great war here in this, uh, in this fourth verse, and it goes on to talk about it. And then it talks about a great earthquake, verse 12. And behold, this is 6.12 I'm still in. And behold, when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake. The sun became black as sackcloth of hair. The moon became as blood. All of these things are all also prophesied in the Old Testament in various places, especially in Isaiah. Isaiah 13 is one chapter. Isaiah 24 is another. Isaiah 3 is another in which they mention all these things. It goes on to say in verse 13, and the stars of heaven fell, <coughs> excuse me, unto the earth 
even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken up a mighty wind. And uh, every mountain, verse 14, the heavens depart as a scroll when it's rolled together and every mountain and island were moved out of their place. And now this is a very horrible thing to think about. And what I have done in previous lessons is to read articles written by scientists and by astrologers and so forth uh, showing us and telling us that many of these things are coming to pass, not that they're trying to line it up with the Bible. They're just talking about things that are down the road from us. Uh, they talk about the horrors of nuclear war. They talk about uh, the disasters of great earthquakes that are coming. Uh, I read an article not long ago about the great earthquake that's in the fault line that's over in Turkey. This is very interesting. But every time they have a, a big earthquake in Turkey, it goes from Turkey in the western, the eastern side of it, and it keeps going west. And a certain section of it will just happen. There'll be hundreds of people killed, and a lot of things will happen. They say, what is frightening about that earthquake fault? This is just the one in Turkey now. The, the frightening thing about it is that when it gets to Istanbul, it will kill actually hundreds of thousands of people because it goes right through Istanbul, which is the capital city of Turkey and is the old city of Constantinople, which is the Grecian Empire. And so uh, these things are all developing. We all know about the ring around the Pacific. There's a fault line around it. There's a fault line that runs all the way down South America, North America, up into Alaska and uh, all that. And it's over in, China, it's over in Japan. And uh, you will be hearing about these things along the way from time to time, here and there. There will be earthquakes here and there. The Bible tells us that. But all that is letting us know that we're getting close to the end time. And the Bible says when all these things come to pass, then look up for our redemption draweth nigh. Now, he goes on to say here in this uh, seventh chapter that there is a ceiling of the 144,000. We talked to you how that 144,000 are not Jehovah's Witnesses. I say that very boldly and I'm not picking on the Jehovah's Witness people. But they claim that. They're the only people that do claim that. They claim they're the, 100, the 144,000 Jehovah's Witnesses. But when you read the scriptures here for eight verses, eight verses, it lets you know that it's all about the children of Israel. And it tells you 12,000 12, uh, people out of the 12 tribes of Israel. And it names the, each one of the tribes and so forth. So there's no way that, uh, that anyone can claim that, that these are, this is us. And uh, I have pointed that out more than one to, to people who have tried to show me this in the Bible that are Jehovah's Witnesses. And I always refer to that. And they usually have nothing to say. It's almost like they never read beyond uh, the first few verses or something. I don't know. And then they'll start picking on the King James Version. Well, you got the King James Version. You don't have the right version. So I said, okay, sure. You got to have another argument. But anyhow, it goes on to tell us about and it talks about uh, people who will be slain in the sixth chapter uh, for the word of God and the, and the testimony which they hold. And also in the seventh chapter, there will be a multitude of people that will be killed for the word of God, not the church. The church is the dead and the alive in Christ. Those that are slain in the sixth chapter, seventh chapter are only the dead and they will be caught up. But who are they? They're not backsliders who walk with God for a while and decide they don't want to live for God and serve the Lord. The scriptures even tell us that that can't be. It says, if you cannot cross Jordan when it's swollen, how can you cross it at evening tide? And if you cannot run with the footmen, how can you run with the horses? And so if you can't live for God today when everything is in your favor. You're not going to live for God or give your life 
in the tribulation period uh, for the word of God, the testimony which you hold. But it will be people who, if they had known the full truth, would have walked in it. Let me just say this, folks. Everybody has not heard the, the full truth. Everybody hasn't. I have been told by missionaries in India that half the country of India alone has never heard the name Jesus. And so we have to understand that God is a just God and he does all things in his right way. I do know the plan of salvation is for us to repent of our sins, be baptized in Jesus' name, be filled with the Holy Ghost, to be rapture ready, to be rapture ready. And I have a Bible lesson. I'm going to teach one to you one day of the seven resurrections. That'll, 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 and I'll show you every one of them in the Bible. Amen. Seven resurrections. It's, I did not originate it. It came out of, it came out of uh, the Midwest, uh, but it's true. And it's all in scripture. Praise the Lord. And uh, so one day I'll, uh, I got some handouts and everything. I'll pass them out to you and hand them to you. But there are various areas where God will resurrect people. And one of them is these is what we're going to be looking at here today about the two witnesses. We talked about chapter 7, chapter 8, how there will be more disasters. One third of things affected. The seas affected. The earth is affected. One third. Uh, grass is burned up. One third. One third of the tree. One third of the fountains of water is made poison. One third of the sea is, is made uh, disastrous and the animals and the creatures of the sea will die. This is all in the eighth chapter of the book of Revelation. And finally, in verse 12, and one fourth of the angels sounded, these were the trumpets that were sounding. First trumpet, second trumpet, third trumpet, fourth trumpet. And then it says here in verse 12, and the fourth angel sounded and the third part of the sun was smitten, the third part of the moon, the third part of the stars, and the third part of them were darkened and so forth. And so it goes on to tell us here of all these disasters. And I mentioned this to you here in a class here a couple of weeks ago, that there are three major things that will begin to happen in the world that we know that the Lord is going to bring judgment upon the earth. And that is, number one, man himself will bring judgment by doing wicked things. That's what we're beginning to see is some of that going on now. Then the earth itself will begin to do things. Volcano eruptions, earthquakes, uh, tidal waves, these kind of things will begin to happen. And then finally, there will be signs in the heavens in which God will let things in the heavens begin to come. Things will happen. Meteorites will fall and so forth. Those things will all happen. And I have not taken the time to go into detail and explain them all in detail and then give you sort of uh, some kind of modern day proof of that with periodicals of writings and, and newspaper clippings. I've just sort of showed them to you in the highlight to get over to where I'm going. And this is where I'm going here today. And uh, I want you to uh, look at the ninth chapter very quickly. Look at verse 13. I'm going to read this one and then verse 13 through 16 and then 18. It says, And the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel which had the trumpet, Loose the four angels which are bound in the great river Euphrates. The Euphrates, incidentally, is in the heart of the Muslim world. Euphrates is in the country of Iraq. And uh, this is very interesting that these angels, and they're not good angels, they're bad angels, bad angels, everything. Uh, you can read about it in 2 Peter 2, 4, Jude, verse 6. Jude just has one chapter. Anyhow, these uh, bad angels will be released. They're, they're demons that are, in, that are bound. Verse 15, and the four angels were loose, which were prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year for to slay the third part of men. 
And so you've got one fourth already slain. So what the population would be like, say today, then you take away a fourth of that. Let's say there's 8 billion people on the earth. You take away a fourth, that's 2 billion. It leaves you six. And then if you take away a third of six, it leaves you, uh, leaves you four, right? So, so I'm a smart mathematician here. And so you have 4 billion people that will be left after chapter six. And what I'm pointing out to you is by the time you get through chapter nine, half the world population will have been slain. And I've, that sounds disastrous. It sounds disastrous. That's why I read those articles to you about these scientists and what they have to say. That these things are, they are all, and one, more than one scientist, and I've read them in articles, they said it's inevitable. It's not when, it is inevitable. Some nuclear war or some, uh, some disasters of the heavens, the, the uh, coming, the meteorites that they can see way out there and they're coming this way and, and, and so forth and uh, comets and all kinds of things that are in the heavens. And when the Lord who made the heavens and the earth gets ready to bring his judgment upon the earth, folks, he will do it. This is why today is a day of salvation. We, we are to be saved today. Today is the day that we turn to the Lord. And anybody can be saved today. That's the beauty about it. The Lord came to save whosoever will. Come unto me, all you that are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. And because the Lord's willingness to save any of us is so open and so present and so prevalent, it makes us think that it can always just be there. You know, it'll always be there. It doesn't matter. I can get saved anytime I want to be saved. But the truth about the matter is that that door will one day be shut. I'm fixing to read the verse of scripture to you where it is shut. That door will be shut and the Gentiles who are for all walks of people who now the gospel is preached in all the world and it's going to be preached in all the world and it is being preached in all the world. And for 2000 years, it has been preached in all the world or in one form or another. Uh, some countries today may not have the gospel preached. It doesn't mean that maybe a thousand years ago it was preached or, or 1500 years ago it was preached because there's been 2000 years of this preaching the gospel in all the world. Praise the Lord. And so we know that it's coming close to the time in which the gospel will be preached in all the world. And then the Lord will send his judgment. So when you read the judgment, it's the Lord saying, I'm going to judge the world. You see, when when Israel sinned, the Lord judged Israel. He destroyed Jerusalem. He destroyed this. I say he destroyed. He allowed it to be destroyed twice. The temple, he allowed it to be destroyed you know, and in one place says that a judgment begins at the house of God. Judgment begins at the house of God. Praise the Lord. And God first destroyed the temple and scattered the Jews all over the world. But one day he'll deal with the Gentiles. And so what we read in Revelation is him dealing with the Gentiles. That scripture about the judgment begins at the house of God also is a reminder to us. It says we are God's people. Amen. Let's walk with God and serve the Lord. God, when God starts judging things, he may judge us to get us in shape and in line and be ready to meet the Lord when he comes. Amen. Folks, let me just say this. Don't play around with God. This is not the time to play around with God. Don't, if you've got something in your life that shouldn't be there, get it out of your life. That's the, that's the, see when Noah went in the ark, everybody was in the ark, the Lord shut the door, but he didn't shut it for seven days. Seven days he left that ark door open. 
so that anybody could have said, you know what? I think I'm going to get in the ark. I think I won't get in there. Anybody could have gone in. And there are seven days of grace that God gave to the whole world before he sent the flood and before he finally shut the door. And the door will be shut. So we have a period of grace. So I'm just saying here to all of us, we who are of the house of the Lord, we who are God's people, that is the church. We're ready to meet the Lord. Amen. If there's those that might be on the fringes or you're on the edge or you're playing around with God, don't do that. Get right with the Lord. And if, you, if you're not saved, get saved. And if you are saved, stay saved. And the Bible, that's what the epistles are all about. They're books telling us how to stay saved. We have one book, the book of Acts, that tells us how to be saved. It's all right there. And then we have all the epistles that tell us how to stay saved. Amen. And most of them, not all of them, most of them were written by Paul, who was the apostle to the Gentiles. God chose him specially for the Gentiles. That's us. So most of that New Testament epistles is for you and I, who it makes up the majority of the church and telling us how to live, how to walk, what to do, what not to do, how to worship God, how to serve the Lord and so forth. So this is not the time to play around with God, but it's the time to be ready to meet the Lord. And so when you get to the end of chapter nine, a half of the world population will have been slain. Now, I want to go to chapter 10, read one verse to you very quickly here. Look at this verse, and then I'm going to get into my major Bible lesson here tonight, this, this morning, and I'll go right on through it very quickly here. Look at chapter 10, verse 7. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, this is that last angel that sounds the trumpet. The seven seals were broken. On the seventh seal, the seven angels were introduced. Seven angels sounded. Uh, you go through this, the, uh, the eighth and ninth chapter. And then it says here in verse seven in chapter 10. And in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished as he hath declared to his servants, the prophets. Now, I'm not going to talk to you about the mystery of God because I talked to you about it a couple of weeks ago. But the mystery of God is simply, and Paul brings this out in Ephesians, that the mystery of God is that God has chosen from the foundation of the world to involve the Gentiles with the Jews, with the Jews into one body. That's why the Bible says that we are, uh, that we are joint heirs with the Jews. So that just as God has chosen to save the Jews, Jesus said he'd come to the lost household with the sheep of Israel, but he sent the apostles unto us. Just as he has saved Israel or would save Israel, so then we are joint heirs with Israel. But Israel as a nation rejected Jesus. And we Gentiles who are the church have accepted him. So there are those who have accepted Christ or those who have rejected Christ, both Gentiles and with Jews. And today, Jews and Gentiles both can be saved. So we are, there's, there are Jews in this church. You're Jews. You're saved. You've been baptized in Jesus' name of the Holy Ghost. God bless you for it. And I know that. So I'm just trying to point out to you here that anybody can be saved in this time of the church age that we're living in. But it's going to come to an end in which the mystery of God, which was the joint heirs together, would end. Would end. Now, I want you to look with me here. And if you look in chapter 11 and verse 1, here's where it all begins to end. And there was given unto me a reed like unto a rod and an angel stood saying, rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and them that worship therein. Now, the Lord told John or the angel, just speaking to John told John, measure the temple 
and them that worship therein. The irony of this verse is there was no temple when this was written. And when this happened, the temple was destroyed in 70 AD by the Romans. And when John had this vision, this was the 96 AD. It was like 16 years later, 70 AD, 26 years later, whenever this revelation here was given to him and the Lord told him to rise and measure the temple. There was no temple, but he was in a vision. And when he was in the vision, there was the, there was the vision that was before him. So here's what the angel said. That was given me a reed like a new rod and the angel stood saying, rise and measure the temple of God and the altar of them that worship therein. Now this is ironic because this is what the Lord told Ezekiel way back in the Old Testament. I'm going to go to Ezekiel a minute over here in chapter 40. And the same thing was with Ezekiel. When the Lord told Ezekiel to measure the temple, the temple had already been destroyed by the Babylonians that first time. It was rebuilt later, but it had been destroyed. And Ezekiel, who was a priest himself and was over in the land of Babylon in captivity, uh, he had this vision and the Lord said to him, measure the temple. Look at verse, uh, I'm reading verse 2. In the visions of God brought he me into the land of Israel. So in this vision that Ezekiel had, even though it's a Babylon, the Lord took him to Israel. And then he saw this man and had this reed and so forth. And then verse six, I'm just, just referring to it. Then came he unto the gate, which looketh toward the east and went up to the stairs thereof and measure uh, the threshold of the gate. And he measured the threshold of the gate and the word he measured, he measured, he measured with this reed that he had in his hand, which is like a, a bamboo, uh, it's a bamboo stick rod, uh, about nine feet tall, long is about the length of it. Uh, he measured this, uh, began to measure here and 15 times the words mentions, then he measured, then he measured and so forth. And so all through this 40th chapter is all about him measuring the temple when there was no temple. So what's he measuring? He's measuring the temple and the vision in which God will someday have there for them in the end time. Praise the Lord. And so whenever the Lord says to John here, measure the temple, it's an implication that he's going to restore Israel. Okay? He's going to restore Israel. So he says to him, there, give, give me a reed, a reed like unto a rod. And the angel stood saying, rise and measure the temple of God and the altar thereof and them that worship there. And it's an implication that God is going to restore Israel as a nation. We're in Ezekiel 40 there a while ago. Look at Ezekiel 36 and 26. And I know I'm moving fast and I, our people up there, God bless them. They're, they, they, they try to stay up with me here. Uh, look at, uh, well, let's look at, uh, Let's look at 19 first. Look at uh, 36, Ezekiel 36, 19. And I scattered them among the heathen and they were dispersed through the countries. Saving time here by just jumping quickly. Verse 24, for I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all countries and will bring you into your own land. Verse 26, a new heart also will I give you and a new spirit will I put in within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you 
and cause you to walk in my statutes and you shall keep my judgments and do them. And you shall dwell in the land that I give to your, gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. This was a promise that God gave the children of Israel in, in, under Ezekiel. And this is going to come to pass. In the 37th chapter of the book of Ezekiel, the Lord took Ezekiel and showed him the dry bones. And he said to him, they were, this was Israel dead and their bones were dried in the valley. And he says, verse 37, three, and he said to him, son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord, thou sayest, thou knowest. In other words, <laughs> you know, I don't know, you know. Verse 11 of 37, then he said unto me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. And then verse 14, and shall put my spirit in you and ye shall live and I shall place you in your own land. And then finally down in this same 37th chapter in verse 21, and say unto them, thus saith the Lord, this is what he's telling Ezekiel to do. Thus saith the Lord God, behold, I will take the children of Israel from among the heathen, whether they, they be gone and will gather them on all sides and bring them into their own land. Then verse 26, and I'm finishing this up now. Uh, moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them and it shall be an everlasting covenant with them and I will place them and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in the midst of them forevermore. My tabernacle also shall be with them. Yea, I will be in their God. They shall be my people. Verse 28, and the heathen shall know that I, the Lord, do sanctify Israel my, when my sanctuary shall be in the midst of them forevermore. So if this was a promise that one day God was going to restore all of Israel, all of Israel. That means Jews who are all over the world, all over the world. And they're called Jews, but the word Jew comes from the word Judah, which is only one tribe of, of Israel. But they're, they're, uh, those are all the 12 tribes of Israel. And this is mentioned also in other scriptures. Now, what I want to show you here in verse 2 of 11, I'm going back to Revelations chapter 11 too. Everybody still with me? Boy, I'm going like a Gatling gun here. I know I am. I'm trying to cover everything here in that time frame. But look at verse 2. And he said here, to measure the temple and them that worship therein. This is taken, you know, and it sort of lines up with Ezekiel. So we know something's going on here that's con that has to do with the, re the, the uh, restoration of Israel. <coughs> verse 2. But the cord which is without the temple... The court, which is without the temple. Now, I was going to bring a chart with me, and, it's, and I, I simply forgot it. But it's a chart of that old temple, you know, either Solomon's or Herod's. They basically had the same outline. They had what was called the Temple of Israel. They had one which was called the Temple of the Women, which, I mean, the court of, the, the court of Israel, the court of the women. And then they had one called the Court of the Gentiles. If you were a, an Israelite, you could go to a certain area and then you could go no further into the temple than that. And then they had an area that was called the court of the women. The women would go to that area and they would go no further. Uh, how many of you folks have been to Jerusalem? All right, I see several hands. You, you remember the Wailing Wall? Remember how the Wailing Wall is? You remember how they got it separated? And they got the women over here on one side and the men over here on another side. And that represents the court of the women. They keep that separate as, as God goes back to the old temple plan. And they, the wailing wall is on the outside of where the temple was because the Muslims control the temple mount. 
So the Jews get as close to that temple as they can even today. So they worship against what's called the Wailing Wall or the Western Wall. And the, the men will worship at one area, the bigger area, and even up into uh, where there is uh, uh, an old uh, bridge type thing that was there. They go underneath there and they worship it because it's supposed to be closer to where the, 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 uh, the Ark of the Covenant was and so forth. And then the women are, are further away. Now, in that old temple, you had the court of Israel, you had the court of the women, and then you had what was called the court of the Gentiles. And that was the outer court. Gentiles could go no further than there. They could come there, they could look at the temple, they could stand there, they could even worship from there, but they could go no closer than that. Everybody understand what I'm saying? Wished I had a picture of it, I could show you. There's multiple pictures of it, drawings of their artists, drawings of of how they feel like it is, can't or was, and so forth. Uh, in Jerusalem, I saw this some 25 years ago. Uh, there is a place behind the the Holy Mount. I think it's called the Holy Mount uh, Hotel. Down in the woods, it's an area about the size of this auditorium here, where they have made a miniature Jerusalem. You can walk around it and it would be about the size of all these pews together here. You walk around it, and in there, they have made everything out of little tiny stones. Some Italian men came there, and, and under the direction of, these, uh, of Israel, they did that. And they worked for years and years on it, and they got this miniature city. If you ever see the city like that, this is where it's taken. It's a miniature city. And you can walk around and look at it, and you can see that temple over there, and you can see the court, and you can see that court of the Gentiles. And so it's interesting to be able to, uh, to see what they, 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 they believe that Jerusalem looked like in the days of Jesus. All right, I'm going to move on here. I've got a lot to tell you here. Verse 2, but the court which is without the temple, leave out, measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles, and the holy city shall they tread underfoot forty and two months. Don't measure the temple that is without for it's given unto the Gentiles. And what he's saying here is that I'm leaving now out the Gentiles. And he goes on to talk about here about how the, the time of the Gentiles is over with and everything to do with the temple. So if you'll notice here, he said, measure the temple, the altar, and them that worship therein, but the court of the Gentiles leave out. And then he goes on to say, and they shall tread underfoot 40 and two months. In other words, three and a half more years is to, be, is to go on here from this point on. And so he is letting us know here that no more Gentiles can be saved. And from this point on, no more Gentiles are saved. Everything to do in the Bible is to do with the Jewish people, the restoration of them, the, uh, the attacks of the Antichrist against them. All of these things are all is what you read from here on. It ties in with Daniel. It's where Daniel leaves off. Daniel finishes up with chapter 12 of the book of Daniel. And Daniel wants to know some more things. And the Lord says, Daniel, shut the book. There's no more I'm going to tell you. You're going to just, you'll, 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 you'll live your life in peace and die in ripe old age. And you'll stand with your generation in the last day. But I'm not giving you any more information. That's it. And so where that 12th chapter ends in the book of Daniel is where this chapter 11 of Revelation picks up. And so the Lord starts talking about the restoration again of Israel. And he starts talking about it. Now, here's what happens. The Lord says that when it's time to restore Israel, 
he sends two witnesses back to Israel to tell them Jesus was their Messiah. Now look at verse 3. Everybody with me? I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred threescore days. That's three and a half years. Three and a half years. Three and a half years is mentioned by 42 months in verse 2. Three and a half years is mentioned again here as a thousand two hundred and threescore days. And that's three and a half years. Clothed in sackcloth. He goes on to say, verse 4, these are the two olive trees and the two olive sticks standing before the Lord of the earth. This is found in Zechariah chapter 4, if you ever want to look at it and read about it. And verse 5, and if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth. Now, who are these people? I'm going to tell you beforehand that I'm going to show you in the scriptures here that, that it is them. It's Elijah and it's Moses. Now, that was a time when king, a wicked king, the son of Ahab, sent for Elijah and wanted him to come. And uh, Elijah would not come. He said, I'm not going to come just because you tell me to come. And so he sent an army of 50 men and a captain and said, the king says he wants you to come now. And Elijah called fire down from heaven and consumed every one of them. And they were gone. Elijah did that. And so the king sent another 50 men with a captain. And he said, Elijah, you come with me. The king has ordered you to come. No funny business. You come with me. Elijah called fire down from heaven. It happened. Consumed him. The king sent another captain with 50 men. And this captain literally, read it in the Bible, got down on his knees before Elijah. And he says, Elijah, we know you can call fire down from heaven and consume us. But we're asking you, please don't do that. We're just trying to obey the king. He's our boss would you just please come? <laughs> and he said, sure, I'll come. The angel spoke to the Lord. Elijah said, go with him. Everything's going to be all right. And what he did was tell the king, you're going to die. You know, you're going to die. He was sick and he wanted to know if I'm going to live or die. And he said, because you've always looked to the gods of the, uh, the, the, uh, the, of the uh, Philistines, uh, God's going to let you die. Belzebub was the god of the Philistines. I won't go into details on that. Anyhow, so he called fire down from heaven. And it goes on to say here in verse 5, any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth, and devoureth their enemies. That's what happened in the days of Elijah. Not out of his mouth, but just down from heaven. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. So these men are powerful men, these two witnesses. Verse 6, these have power to shut the heavens that it rain not. That was Elijah. That was Elijah. He, he, called, he prayed and the Lord shut the heavens. I think most of us know about it. Reign not in the days of their prophecy. So from the time that they come to the earth in those three and a half years and they prophesy on this earth for three and a half years, it will not rain. And that's exactly what Elijah did. He prayed and it rained not on the earth for the space of three and a half years. And of course, that's found over in the book of, excuse me. <coughs> Boy, you heard that one, didn't you? That's found over in the book of James, I think it is. Uh, James 5, 17, Elias was a man subject to like passion as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth for by the space of three years and six months. I'm pointing out to you here that it's no big secret of who these two witnesses are. And, uh, and if any man will hurt them, he must. Verse 6, these have power to shut the heavens that it rain not in the days of their prophecy. That's the days of their prophecy on this earth. Then, and have power over waters to turn them to blood, which is what Moses did. Now, the other things sort of bear out it was Elijah. 
And now Moses turned water into blood uh, when he, you know, in Egypt, we, we all know that, and to smite the earth with all plagues. And Moses did that, okay? And as oft as they will. So you have two men here, Moses and Elijah, and the scriptures right here pretty well identify who they are. And it doesn't, you know, doesn't give us a lot of room for imagination. It's all right there. Let me read another verse of scripture to you here in Malachi. This is the last two verses here in the book of Mal- in the Old Testament. Malachi 4, 5. Last two verses. It says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. He should turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the hearts of the children to their fathers, and so forth. Now, I'm going to follow on here because I want to show you what happens. Verse 7. Look at verse 7 with me. I'm back in Revelations 11 now. 11, 7. And when they shall have finished their testimony, three and a half years, and their testimony will be to the Jews, Moses and Elijah, the, the the two witnesses, the two prophets, their testimony will be Jesus Christ was your Messiah. And you turned him down. You rejected him. You turned your back on him. You did not accept him. You did not receive him. Your fathers did. And now that was, that's the whole thing. Your fathers did not him, but he was your Messiah. And they are going to believe Moses and Elijah. Some people believe that one of the prophets would be Enoch and Elijah. It won't be Enoch because Enoch was a Gentile. He was before Abraham. He was not a Jew. Enoch wasn't. Enoch is a type of the church. He walked with the Lord 365 years and was not for the Lord took him. You walk with God and serve the Lord, everything. One day the Lord will take us. He is a type of the church and that God can just take us whenever he is ready to do so. So these two prophets here will turn the hearts of Israel back to God, praise the Lord, and they will know Jesus Christ is their Messiah. Now, I know I read this verse to you here previously, but let me just take a moment here and uh, read it again to you. Uh, the one that's in, I think it's in Zechariah. Uh, that's in Zechariah 14. I don't have it. Zechariah 12. Zechariah 12, 10. Just give us that on the screen. I don't have it marked in my Bible. Zechariah 12, 10. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. And they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and they shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. And then it goes on to say that the men and the women will separate. House of David, and of course, in different houses of the well-known people, their, their houses will be, and the people will all get alone. When men from, the, men from their wives, wives from their men, and they will get alone and they'll bury their face in the carpet and they'll weep and they'll cry and they'll say, God, forgive us. We never knew it was you when you came. And God will give them what is called that spirit of grace. And he will give them that spirit of grace. And that's what you and I have today is the spirit of grace. That's why when you come to the house of God and you feel the presence of the Lord, you feel the presence of the Lord. That's the grace of God that he's giving you and me that we can feel his presence so that we can know this is real. You don't have to come to church and be dead and dry and bored up and say, is this, is this real or not? Is this truth or not? God can give you an assurance. And if you don't have that assurance, folks, all you have to do is ask for it. God will do it. He'll give you an assurance that this is real. This is for you. You can be saved. I don't care what your background is. I don't care what your background. You can be saved. 
Amen. I've known, some, I've known stories of people in some of these third world countries that God has saved them out of all kinds of witchcraft stuff. Assassinators, assassinators. God saved assassinators who killed people for a living. It saved them and filled with them the Holy Ghost. Their lives were changed. They couldn't work anymore. They lost their jobs. <laughs> Thank God. I, I'm telling you the truth. I mean, this, these are, this is, I'm talking about third world countries in this. And I'm sure it's, you know, first world countries. I know people in this country who came from all kinds of back, backgrounds. It doesn't matter who you are, but you have to want it. And you have to say, Lord, I want you to just let me know, move upon me, touch my life, touch my heart. And God is in his presence and his spirit. And that is the spirit of grace to let you know, I'm here, I'm with you, this is it, this is real, this is me. And if you would then obey the word, God will fill you with his spirit and you'll be the happiest person in the world. I was talking to somebody not long ago and I said, at my age today, this, this, this is the only way to live. I wouldn't have it any other way. I'm so glad God saved me one time. He saved me when I was 16 years old. And I wouldn't have it any other way. Praise God. And so, and I see our time is getting away here. I got one minute. Give me one minute. And so what happens, they finish their testimony, which is Jesus Christ was the Messiah. And then it goes on to say uh, that verse 7, I'm going to read this verse 7. And when they shall have finished their testimony, and the beast that ascended out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies shall lie in the streets of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Gomorrah, where also our Lord was crucified. And if you've got your Bible right in the margin there, Jerusalem. It's in Jerusalem where all this will happen. I mean, we're not all of it, but in this part. And they of the people, kindred's tongues and nations, that's Gentiles, shall see their dead bodies in the streets for three days and a half, just as they preached for three years and a half, now their bodies will lie in the streets for three days and a half. They'll see their bodies lying there and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves. And they shall dwell upon the earth and they dwell upon them shall rejoice over them. These are Gentiles now. Make merry and shall send gifts one to another because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. <clears throat> and it goes on to say here, verse 11, and after three days and a half, the spirit of life came from God entered into them and they stood upon their feet and great fear fell upon all them that saw them and they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, come up hither and they ascended up to heaven in a cloud and their enemies beheld them. And there's a lot now that will happen after this when God gets into what's called, we know to be the restoration of Israel. Praise the Lord. I'm going to talk to you about that next week. God love you. You're a great class. We appreciate uh, and I respect you because you're smart people. I know that. Some of you are very great students. You are. You're good students of the word. And I feel that I have to rise to the occasion just to teach you. God bless you. Let's rise and praise God and thank him today. Thank you for all of your prayers too. I appreciate that. You know that I've been through a few things and God has been good to us. Let's just praise and worship God together and ask him to bless our morning service at this time. Jesus, Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your blessings and goodness. Thank you for these dear people, God, that love you, that love your word. They wouldn't be here if they didn't. Thank you, God, for the opportunity to look into your word. Thank you, Lord, for all things that are going to happen. Bless the morning service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.